welcome to Heads Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Casey. Hey. What's up, man? How are you from afar? I don't know. It's the it's the second episode of uh, of virtual END. I, I'm starting to like it, getting into a routine. I can tell you what I don't like is the use of END as a, an abbreviation. That's a new thing for Mr. Dodd. I, uh, that's Dr. Dodd. Dr. Dodd. <laughs> I don't know when you're going to get that straight. All right, we're, we're, moving, we're moving on. Peter Cradle, you're there. Here, co-host, END, <laughs> presenting. Uh, I, I don't think I created END. I saw Crable use it quite a bit. Crabs, you like it, don't you? In writing, I think it's totally fine. I'm not sure how I feel about it uh, as a statement about the show. END, yeah, you know me. <laughs> Okay. All right. Ed's Not Dead, as always, is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. It's great to be back, folks. Thanks for joining us. You're going to find us at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter, and of course, visit our website, uh, edsnotdead.com. It's great to see you guys, and we are starting to get the hang of virtual Ed's Not Dead. Um, this is the this is the quickest turnaround we've had in uh, shows in quite a while. Recording well, I, back to back. I think part of the reason for that is is that I think I'm less difficult to schedule with when it's virtual. <laughs> I, listen, I've I've tried to schedule virtual podcasting several times when we've been two almost and canceled, <laughs> and uh, it's yeah. finally it's taken a global pandemic to force the change. In me or or us as a group, both. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely like every time you've been like, I don't know. He's like virtual. We could do it virtual. You guys want to do it virtual? I don't think I've been that down on it. I think Mr. Krabs, you've not loved it. Yeah, I've been pretty down on it. Really? Yeah, but I think it's it's working for us. Hopefully, our audio is sounds pretty good. In case he doesn't sound too loud, <laughs> <laughs> that's my hope for this episode. That's, our, that's yeah. You didn't even listen to the other in episode. Casey's not loud. <laughs> Which, by the way, for any, any of our listeners out there who are counting, this is episode nine of season three. <laughs> for those I of you who are counters. <laughs> since Mr. Siddons doesn't like it that I do, because he says we're non-episodic. That's right. Now. That's right. All right. Uh, Casey, you have some show feedback for us, I believe. Some show like. feedback. I have some feedback for you and me. <laughs> yes. So I, I was looking on our Apple Podcast preview of feedback of the reviews, and just so our listeners know, if you haven't given us feedback or given us a star, please do. Please do that. Um, if you give us five stars, we will read your review. First of all, second of all, um, or one star. We also read one. Star we read reviews. one stars as well. We Th- are those, not. We are not picky. Those come from those come from uh, Robbie's sons. Uh, friends, his friends, <laughs> his frenemies. Um, but the reason why it's so important to rate us on iTunes is because it boosts our ratings on iTunes and it helps our search um, functions for when you're looking for podcasts about education. So anyway, so we have a first one from Jake. This is from December. He said, he or she said, great podcasts, thoughtful and interesting discussions about schools, teaching, policy, and research. Also fun. Uh, love the quizzes and Dear Betsy. And we bought, brought Dear Betsy back last time, which was great. Next set of feedback we have is from, Thank you, Jake. Yeah, from January. Um, excellent is the topic. 
Always insightful, informative, and relevant to the current issues in education. Keep it up. So that's that's another great review. And finally, most recently from March, favorite podcast I listen to is the topic. Whether you are a d- directly involved in education um, or just have a desire to better understand how important public education is as a common good in our country, you must listen to Ed's Not Dead. You Who must. Who wrote that? Oh, I don't know. They don't have a username. Oh, those were anonymous. Yeah. Peter, Robbie, Casey are incredibly insightful, humble, and funny. They really bring education topics that could seem wonky to outsiders and bring it on home in a really clear and concise way. Keep it going. Can't wait for you all to hit it big time. Ooh, big time. Very nice. Well, thank you, listeners. Uh, Keep up the ratings on iTunes. And we still have uh, very sweet uh, Ed's Not Dead stickers that we can get out to people. If you want one, let us know. Mr. Siddons will send you one. And <laughs> they're 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 lime green and they look great on your car. And then you can read what's on the the sticker now. Yeah, you can because <laughs> they're much larger. I I have one of the small ones on my truck, and I need to upgrade to the to the bigger the the larger diameter END stickers. Listen, all right. The the black ones are classic. Okay, now they're hard to get, and you just don't you can't get them anymore. Uh, Casey, why does why does Mr. Crable have a microphone and we don't? Uh, that's because he's holding out on us, and we don't want to get his germs. He's upgraded his tech and and has not told us what we need to do to upgrade ours. I think he let's, was afraid we wouldn't be able to figure it out. Let's think about this for a second. Robbie has like five microphones in the room that he's sitting in, four <laughs> mic cables, a mixing board. <laughs> Three mic stands, three pop filters, and he's using his headphones from his iPhone to record. Well, hold on a second. I I don't know what any of those things do. You just start plugging them in, and then magic happens. That's what Crable does with the soundboard. He's not our expert sound editor. He's a plug-and-play kind of guy. That's right. You just plug in and see what happens. I moved the soundboard, Mr. Crabes. I had to get it out of the way. Uh, sad day. Sad all right, day. all right. Give me a quick uh, uh, quarantine update. How's how are you surviving with the three kids, Mr. Crable and Mr. Siddons? What are you doing to keep yourself busy? Oh man, Crable, go ahead. Uh, a lot of wrestling, a lot of crying, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of slamming doors. Uh, so, but we 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 bought. Several pints of ice cream from uh, is this place called Jenny's or something like that in in Ohio. I don't know. My wife knows about it, and they got all, all sorts of wacky flavors. So uh, we're going to brave the storm by eating ice cream and uh, probably watching TV. Wow, that's, that's all right. That's good. Uh, that's good. I started building a wall. Okay, a dry stacked wall on the, oh, on the nice. side of my <laughs> property. <laughs> you're doing the dry stacked wall. You're not ready for the the mortar the mortar no, wall. Your, sk- your your skills aren't there. I'm going for the dry stack. I, I brought Frida outside, and she hung out outside while I did it all day yesterday. Oh, she's in her little tent. <laughs> nice. And then I recognize uh, that stroller. I know it's your stroller. <laughs> uh, looks good. Looks so I, good. I got that's oh. my rocks that are stacked up, and then uh, I got some foundation that's laid out. It's hard to see. There you uh, go. Anyway, um, so I started doing that. Man. What's that? 
It's a lot of stone. Oh, I got three more shipments coming from Mr. Dunbar. Wow. Oh, nice. You know, you know, when I lived in Colorado, I built uh, stone patios. Did you? Yeah, with like really big pieces of flagstone. And so you'd go around and you'd pick them up, you know, like pincer grip on them like that. And then you'd walk them over to wherever you're building them. Oh, I did wow. that for, I don't know, three, four months, something like that. By the end of it, dude, I had like awesome Popeye forearms. Oh, <laughs> just great forearms. I, since really I can't fun. go to the, since I can't go to the gym, this is my, like my squat workout. It's amazing. There you go. It's great. So that's what I've been doing and video games. <laughs> Very nice. So we're, what about um, you? Uh, I've been working a lot. This 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 remote work as a school leader takes quite a bit of time. Uh, it's a brave brave new world as um, I'm learning. So I haven't done as many around the uh, house jobs as I would have liked to have done. I've spent a fair amount of time with the kids, walked the dog quite a bit. What's the um, What's the biggest uh, portion of your time taken up by? I uh, email just from staff or students or. Yeah, just everybody. Yeah, um, but not 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 so much not so much students, um, staff, and, and parents. Um, there's a lot of questions about what education is going to look like this spring and the implications for parents. They're concerned about their kids. Sure. And, um, staff want to know uh, how they're going to teach. Yeah, and and so um, valid question. Yeah, yeah, they're all all big all big questions that will be decided over time. Yeah will be answered over time. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to try to, uh, this weekend, I'm going to try to turn it off a little bit, and do some things around the house. I have a front porch to paint, Ooh. Um, which I've been putting off. So I'm going to try to do that. Good for you. Yep. Um, all right. So we've got a great show today. We are very happy to have, uh, Lynn Harris, Mrs. Lynn Harris, who, um, has a pretty amazing background. You guys, she's, uh, she has a lot of experience in the uh, public health field. She's actually a registered nurse, and she's a career changer. She got into teaching a few years ago, and now she's running for an at-large seat on the Montgomery County uh, Board of Education. So we're going to have Lynn on the show and talk to her about how schools have reacted to COVID-19 and how she sees education these days and her platform for uh, the Board of Education race. So we're pretty stoked to have her on her. Yeah. Absolutely. And she Lynn, the funny thing about Lynn is is that she's been a big fan of the pod since the beginning. Yep. And um has been very consistent in sending us ideas for the pod <laughs> on Twitter. Um, none of which we've ever used. Uh but but we like them and she she always responds to our tweets. Yes. So um yeah, so it's gonna be great to have Lynn on. And before we get to Lynn there was a pretty fascinating article by one of my favorite researchers, uh, Eric Kanushek. Uh, he is a very well-known economist, I guess, at Stanford. And um, you guys have seen this piece, right? Yes. Yes. Mr. Sidney, you read the whole thing? Oh, the whole thing. I wrote notes and everything. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so Hunushek et al., because I'm a little challenged by the other two authors' names. Craig, well, you can take a stab at them if you want. Well, I'm going to scroll back up. Um, uh, Mark Piopinik and Simon Wiederholt. There you go. Oh, Simon uh, Wiederholt. Hunushek et al. Uh, this is something that we've talked about and had a few arguments on the show about over the years, about um, links between 
teachers' cognitive abilities, uh, in other words, how smart teachers are and the uh, achievement of kids. Mm-hmm. And so Hanushek and his colleagues, as, as Hanushek often does, used international test scores, I think the PISTA, um, to look at correlations uh, and um, associations between teacher background, teacher um, ability, and how kids do. They also looked at teacher pay and the achievement of kids and pretty interesting findings, wouldn't you say, Mr. Krebs? Absolutely, yeah. Um, do you want to give the, the punchline away? Uh, you, want, you, want me to give the, you want me to give you the big one? Yeah, I think it's important to start with kind of the findings and then work our way backwards. All right, so differences in teachers' cognitive skills across countries are strongly associated with international differences in student performance. I quote, an increase in teacher cognitive skills of one standard deviation is associated with an increase in student performance of as much as 15% of a standard standard deviation in the PISA test. So that was the big one. Uh, the first big one, wa- which is um, really the, the I guess, the, the, the higher cognitive skills teachers have um, that has, has a pretty strong correlation with how kids do. Yeah, and I think it's a good point to bring up. Um, I think it's, you know, and that's why we're discussing it, but the idea that smarter teachers can help lead to better students, I certainly think is a very important factor. It's not the only important factor, um, but I do think it is an important factor. And looking at other countries, um, I can't remember, I think he put Korea and Finland maybe on there and talked about how they pull exclusively exclusively from the top third of college graduates um, into the teaching force, um, and the United States pulls from all over. I certainly think that's an aspirational goal to work towards, um, that we start to pull from higher and higher achievers. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, we, 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 this goes back to season one when we look, looked at uh, the McKinsey Institute study on um, teacher preparation in countries like Finland and South Korea and how much more competitive it is than in the United States. Mr. Sids, what are your – I think we've had some arguments about this because we – I think we all feel like teachers in this nation get into it um, for various reasons. Um, the number one reason is probably not pay, and there's impl- implications for teacher salaries in this in this uh in, in their research. What do you make of it, Mr. Siddons? Uh, the first thing I was wondering about is how do they measure, the first question I had was what, where do they measure teacher cognitive skills? Um, and I, I have that one from the OSED's program for the international assessment of adult competencies. Yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. And then they, they narrowed it down by the person's profession and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I just question about the measurement of the, like to what extent are teachers, uh, adults, how are they measured and what does it look like? Um, clearly it's a, it's a well-established exam assessment of some sort. Um, but then the other piece of it is it, it, towards the end of it and the implications, it talks about, um, you know, causation versus correlation. And I think obviously if you have a, a an intelligent teacher, you're going to be able to convey content in a way that's you that shows that you know the topic. But just because that you're 
graduating at the top 5% of your class does not make you a good teacher necessarily or an effective teacher outright. Um, uh, no, I agree. I mean, there's a lot, I think we, I mean, I think we agree there's more to teaching than just cognitive ability. Right. Um, but for the purposes of just kind of narrowly focusing on cognitive ability and its association with outcomes, student outcomes, this is pretty compelling. It is. And I think it's interesting that they talked about um, the, uh, the about the value of increasing teacher pay and how that might impact um, the quality of teachers that you're going to get in the building. In, increasing the salaries of teachers is, is certainly what they said is going to expand the pool of potential teachers, which is true. You're going to have a lot more people that are going to want to choose teaching as a profession because of uh, the competitive salary. Um, and and it, there, people are going to decide, well, it's worth it for me to go through this challenging process or have a, a quite a challenging first two, three years of teaching to because of the pay. But it doesn't necessarily, their, their research says that it doesn't indicate that more talented teachers would be hired out of the enlarged pool. But you're going to have a lot more teachers to pick from. I, you know, they're there are some schools that are hiring teachers well into the school year and there's just not enough teachers, effective teachers or teachers that are willing to stick it through and, and through the entire school year. I, I, there's just, there's so much attrition. It's, I don't know. I, don't well, I, have, even... I have a I have a question for you because you've learned quite a bit about um, high school teacher programs. Mm. Uh are high school teacher programs attracting um, kids that otherwise um, cognitively could 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 choose other interests? In terms of like teacher preparation, yeah, there's not a desire to be a teacher. Okay. When I go to middle schools and I talk about the career programs that we have and the academies that we have, um, typically the response that I get from students is either indignation, uh, a neutral, kind of neutral, whatever. And then oftentimes I get a lot of laughs when I say to middle school or seventh and eighth graders, you know, when I ask like, who, who wants to become a nurse? Who wants to become a, cause we have a healthcare professions academy. Who wants to go into, um, the, you know, the Navy, who wants to go into teaching? And, and often the response is a laugh from a lot of kids and jeers almost. And I, I always expect that. <laughs> That's depressing. Well, and, and it's, and my response is, is not to be, um, my response is always, so I anticipated that. Um, and I want you to know that one of the reasons why I got into teaching was because of, I had an awful experience in middle school with some of my teachers in high school and I wanted to do better than what my teachers provided me. So if you've ever sat in a chair in a, in a classroom where you're thinking about why am I here or this is awfully boring, then you should consider being a teacher to make it better for the next generation. And, and I, I, after I say that, every single time I say that, there are three or four more hands that go up in interest for the pamphlet from the Teacher Academy. And I think that's interesting just in and of itself. It's sort of... Um, encapsulates somewhat about the article too. And I'm going to talk about the other side of my mouth. I started off by saying, yeah, it's very important that 
cognitive abilities of teachers are high, but at the same time, you know, I mean, informal poll here, the three of us, did any of us go into teaching because we thought it would be a dramatic cognitive lift for us? No. And that was what we were looking for. We were looking for something that would really challenge our brains in a sort of, um, I don't know, mathematical way or something. I, I mean, did not. I would say no, right? Nope. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we no, know that's but, not but, true. But the only, the only <laughs> thing, I, the only thing I would add, I would, I mean, I know, I agree, Peter, but I would so, just but say. My, my point is, my. Let me just hold on. Let me finish. And then we get in. Sorry, we get into it because you like kids and you like working with kids and yeah. you enjoy teaching kids and you enjoy the and like all the other reasons. And I don't know. Maybe that's somewhere in cognitive ability. But it's not. I don't know. It, it's a bit of a. That's a bit of a stretch for me. I guess. I part of me wanted wanted to start because I thought that I know I wanted to get into teaching to work with kids, but I knew that so, teaching social studies was my avenue to do that. Uh, I was interested in social studies. Uh, that has since transformed in a lot of ways to not teaching content but teaching children, and I, I can teach a teacher any kind of content that you want to convey to kids or adults, I can't teach you to like children and to, to like to build relationships with kids and families. What yeah. Say, but, but, but the only thing I would say to that, the three of us have known lots of a fair amount of teachers that have pretty good relationships with kids, but maybe aren't great teachers. Yeah. 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 And that, uh, yeah. And that yeah. kind of brings me to my, my next point that in, I always have a really hard time with any studies that synthesize um, student learning with one specific factor because there's so many different factors that go into teacher, you know, learning and teaching on any given day. I mean, are you guys familiar with John Hattie at all? Yes. So don't you, don't you love when Crable, when it, can't you see it on Crable's face? It's a little smug. Pulled, when he's pulled something that he knows that we don't know about and he's about to hit us for some Ooh, research. a meta-analysis of research? I know it very well, Mr. Craven. There you go. So John Hattie ranked 138 different influences in the classroom um, to judge the effect size of each on student learning. So an effect size of one. Oh, is that why you had to ask me what effect size was? That's why I asked you what, effect, <laughs> what the uh, – I think I said, hey, what's that educational term for how much you learn in a given year? <laughs> Usually represented by an N number, N equals something. <laughs> but yes, I didn't tell you why. Okay, I all right, to go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, yeah, so he ranks all these, um, I guess it's been updated, 252 different influences. So even that in and of itself, the idea that there's 252 influences that you could isolate out to have an effect on student learning, they don't, you know, in reality, obviously, none of them exist um, in a vacuum and by themselves. So while it, cognitive ability is important, you know, it's not the only one. And as a side, when it is a side quiz, what do you think the greatest effect size on student learning and achievement is? Teacher efficacy. No. Um, uh, socioeconomic background. I think Casey had already pulled up the website and is looking at it. So no, I taught it for skillful teacher, you <laughs> dope. Okay, yes, it is teacher <laughs> efficacy. And in 1.57 standard deviations. So, um, yeah. So anyway, what were you going to say, Robbie? Um, I mean, I was just going to say that, I mean, going, going back to the Coleman report, 
<laughs> which which I cite all the time. I think it was 1968. I mean, I know I know your friend John Hattie has broken these these factors out and looked at effect size for each one of them, which is very interesting to me. But I mean, I th- I think that you know Coleman found a long time ago that SES was was probably the the strongest predictor of um, achievement. And then, the, and then the next one after that, which is actually compared to SES, fairly small but significant, are teacher effects. And so teachers do kind of, without the breakout, they globally a teacher has a significant effect on student achievement. Well, and, and Hattie's research does talk about that, he, but he, it, it refers to that, the socioeconomic piece, as, as a, a determinant of student achievement in a negative way. So yeah. Hattie's research focuses on things that accelerate student learning, yeah. things that keep student learning at a level that um, would you know is is consistent, and then they also talk about the the level that would be for um, uh, if it would be de- actually detract from student learning, and well, socioeconomic and status would be the detraction. And, 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 and you know, I found I found negative teacher effects um, effect sizes in my research when we looked at project success versus departmentalization. Um, mm-hmm. and, and while I didn't look specifically at, I didn't call it um, teacher efficacy. A lot of the uh, the the sub outcomes we looked at were things that would fall under teacher efficacy. Right. Um, like providing kids more autonomy because you trust them more because you feel good about how you teach those right. kinds of things, um, and 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 certainly Casey, your work in Project Success, I think you felt really efficacious yeah. in that setting, right? Because yeah. you see and, the and, you see the impact of your work on a day to day basis, and you saw it in achievement. You've yep. seen it. You've seen it implementing PS in your schools, Crable. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, one last thing, Mr. Craig, do you want to comment on the implications for gender equality in Hanushek's piece? I thought it was pretty interesting um, where uh, the authors say, we find that cross-country differences in women's access to high-skill occupations and in wage premiums paid to teachers, given their gender, work experience, and cognitive skills, are directly related to teacher cognitive skills in a country. Hmm. Can you translate that for me? Well, I think what it says is that in um, in countries where uh, teacher cognitive skills are found to be on average higher, um, that's strongly associated with higher pay for women in the in 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 the field. Yeah, I uh, fully agree. And I mean, I think beyond that too it was also just the sort of. Um, uh, I don't know if elevation of women within the workforce or, um, you know, respecting ability, so on and so forth. Uh, but all of that, I think, just has to do with how a society in general views uh, women in the important place that they can and do and should have. Um, and you see that, you know, obviously there's a, a, an effect on student student achievement and uh, stuff like that as well. And, Actually, and, and, and our society I, I, has... I, I, inter- I interpreted that incorrectly. It's cross-country differences in women's access to high-skill occupations. So access to any occupation for for a woman is increased in countries where teacher cognitive skills are higher. 
Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yes. So they're more enlightened because they have more enlightened teachers. Correct. And then it's women have more access to better jobs. And and there's exactly. there's a significant gender pay gap in our country that it we've talked about this before where um it's not a surprise that women are paid less or that the teaching profession is paid less than what they should be considering that women are just generally paid less than men on the whole and women make up most of the education workforce. All right. Uh, it's, uh, it's a sad truth, stuff. but that's where we're at. Yep. All right. You got the last word. Uh, folks, check out this piece by Erica Nushak in Education Next. Uh, I think it was um, – oh, it's a year old. It's very old. It's out of, <laughs> out of date. It was, in a, it was in a compilation of the best Ed stories from 2019. Mr. Sid, you'll tweet it out, won't you? I sure will. Okay. All right. All right. Don't go away, folks. We will be right back. We're psyched to have Lynn Harris on the show. We'll be back in a minute. Very excited to have Lynn Harris on the show tonight. Lynn is a registered nurse and educator who is running for the at-large seat on the Board of Education in Montgomery County, Maryland. Lynn is currently a teacher of the healthcare professions at Thomas Edison High School of Technology. Prior to being a teacher, Lynn served as the president of the Montgomery County Council of PTAs. Lynn has, as you as you guys know, has been a faithful ENB listener for three seasons. She yeah, has, yeah. haven't you, Lynn? I I have been long a member of your fan club, <laughs> and 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 she has sent us many many ideas on Twitter for topics for the show, none of which we've ever used. <laughs> That'd be many many many, and they're all really good ones, I must say. And they are good, yeah. They're they're really good. Well, instead of the topics, Lynn, we have you on tonight, and we're incredibly grateful to have you on. So you let let's jump in, okay? Yeah, great. All right, Lynn, as a registered nurse uh, who teaches students in high school in a healthcare program and also someone who's highly involved and interested in ed policy, you know more about ed policy than almost anyone I know. Uh, give us your, your response to how school systems have responded to COVID-19. Um, on the pre-planning, I think, um, universally, I think almost all school systems should have had a better disaster response plan, you know, teed up and ready to go just as a matter of resilience planning. But that's speaking from my, in part from my public health background. Um, I think MCPS and other school systems, once the handwriting was on the wall, seemed to have all kind of best foot forwarded it as far as I can tell. And I think um, I'm seeing... Um, and I know we haven't figured out the special education supports, ESL supports quite yet, but I also know MCPS is really looking at that very intensely. And um, I also know MCPS is really looking at that very intensely and um, we'll be looking at, on sort of individual um, cases on, on about how to best support our learners with special needs. Uh, so I think our ongoing response, I think, is pretty darn good. So, Lynn, you know, aside from being a teacher and a public health advocate and a public education advocate, um, you're also running for the at-large 
um, nomination for the Montgomery County, Maryland uh, Board of Education. So just kind of a big, broad question, you know, what prompted you to run for the Board of Ed and what do you hope to accomplish from it? Um, I decided to run um, because to me, it seems like we are at a real tipping point in our county. Some of the things that are supported led by student advocacy have started to take seriously over the past 18 months, like equity and diversity in our school system has unfortunately also sort of ripped off some um, not necessarily progressive areas and, and um, priorities in some areas of our county. And it became clear to me and several others that um, this Board of Education was under attack by those who did not want to see us prioritizing equity, prioritizing diversity, did not want us to be doing things like looking at you know boundaries in a comprehensive way. So I felt strongly that somebody that truly believed in equity and diversity and a very student first approach needed to at least be on the ballot and it needed, needed to at least be speaking. Um, and I felt that my decade of work in the school system, as, you know, as an advocate through MCCPTA has given me a very wide, deep knowledge of our school system. And I think the knowledge that I have, the, the deep belief in our public school system that I have and my real commitment to equity and diversity and student voice in our system, all of that together, to me, it just felt like it was time. Based on your understanding of not only our school system, but just board of ed, boards of ed in general, why, why is the Board of Education so important in, in terms of why you're running? Well, the Board of Education sets the policy. It sets the tone. It sets the direction. It says, this is where we're going. And then the superintendent is sort of supposed to make it so. And my concern over my years advocating in the school system is that we have some really good policies that sometimes we are not prioritizing enough. And then in some other areas, I think we need to be a bit more courageous to stand up and do the right thing. If we're going to be a data-driven, evidence-based school system, 13th largest school system in the country, majority minority, we need to act like it. And we need to, if we're going to say we're data-driven, if we're going to say we're evidence-based, then that's what we need to be. So I'm, I'm curious, um, I'm sure you know about Howard County, Maryland, how they've recently um, gone to great lengths to, it sounds like, achieve a lot of the goals of what you're talking about. Um, do you have any specific thoughts on what they have done? Is that a model you would like to see Montgomery County recreate? Or is it something that, you know, given a magic wand, what exactly would the sort of ideal school system look like for you? I think some of the best advice I was given when I was contemplating filing to run and looking at what that meant for me was, you know, somebody said, be your authentic self. So my authentic self is what the, the school system, I think, should look like is that every school should look like our county. Every school should reflect the reality of what we are as a system, which is no more than 37% farms. We should have that, that demographic um, mix. Um, what are, we're, we're 32% Latinx, we're 28% white, we're 22% African-American. 
ideally, I think every school would be a microcosm of that, not that we would robotically put in place programs, processes, you know, the whole, you know, pro-busing, anti-busing rhetoric that some people are throwing around. Not that I think we should ever take draconian measures to achieve that, but I think that's the aspiration. That's what I would think, I would hope we would all want our, every one of our schools to reflect our county, because how are we getting students college and career ready if we aren't if they're not in an environment that is the environment they're going to step into the minute they leave us. Right. When um, Casey and I, about three years ago, um, were having a discussion, we were standing in the media center of a gleaming, beautiful new school. And, um, you know, I, I, I had the thought at the time of, of the, the ability with with strained budgets, capital budgets uh, in Maryland and across the United States to continue kind of an arms race of building schools in some places in the in the nation have it are much more impacted with their ability to 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 do new construction or to remodel schools than than we are here locally. But what do you think about what we're about to experience with distance distance learning? Is that going to have any impact on? future of education in, in whether we continue to, to every year spend more money on trying to keep up with building brick and mortar places for teachers to teach and kids to learn. I hope so. I mean, because I look at our county and I look at our capacity and I know that level to level, system-wide, we aren't an overcapacity school system, really. At elementary, middle, high school, at each level, we have about the number of seats as we do students, not perfectly, but about. And I think what you started with, with this whole, now that we're moving to distance learning, will that reshape the way we think about capacity pressures? Well, Linda, it's been amazing having you on our show. Finally, we appreciate your time so much. Uh, since you are a fellow educator, uh, we have to end our time with a quiz before you go. Are you, are you game for a quiz? A game! All right. So, Lynn... We know you are an educator and prospective Board of Education member, but we want to know what you know about other Lynn's of the world. Ah, oh, jeez. If you get two out of the three yeah. right, you win. MCTS Jeopardy Smackdown. Listen. Dang we're we're going to give you a well-sanitized trophy. That's right. Win. I don't choose the, the quiz. The quiz chooses you. All right. Number one, Lynn, Massachusetts was the fifth settlement by Europeans an early industrial center, Lynn was long colloquially, colloquially referred to as the city of blank, owing to its historical reputation for crime and vice. Is it A, greatness, B, angels, or C, sin? Sin. That is correct. City of oh, sin. Very good. The original city of sin. <laughs> Number two. I know that. Great start. I have that settled Lynn, Massachusetts. Oh, nice. Number two. The that explains you, Lynn, right there. <laughs> <laughs> and Robbie can't pipe in on this one. This right. famous Lynn was a former NFL player and ultimately ran and lost for the Pennsylvania governor's seat in 2006. Is it A, Lynn Swan? B, Lynn Swan! <laughs> Is that your yes, final Taylor. answer? All right. You're correct. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Number three. So you got two right. You got you, if you get three out of three, you'll be the first guest to get three out of three. We'll, 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 we'll put, put gold in the. Is one of you going to leave your do that 
the answering machine thing on my voicemail. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I oh, that's a good should idea. Start doing we that. Do that. Yeah, yeah, we, we would love to do that. <laughs> you've and reached I'll, the I'll, you've I'll, reached I'll the cell phone of Lynn. <laughs> I'm not sure we have quite the, the, that radio voice. Uh, they're gonna be like, "Who's this weirdo on your voicemail? Yeah, well, why do you have some random, horrible nasal voice on there?" <laughs> Number three, Lynn is a surname of English, Scottish, Irish, or German origin. It has a number of derivations, but the place name may have derived from Britannic Lena, which means a pool or lake, b spinning wheel, or c tattooed folk i think it's spinning wheel ah it's incorrect that's pool or lake <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was pool or lake ah well you know you got two out of three you you've that's won you're gonna get some ed's pretty, not dead swag hey <laughs> that's good enough on wait wait don't tell me that's right <laughs> all right lynn harris uh it has been an honor to have you on end um tell our listeners where they can find you on the interweb on social media hmm. They can find me at uh, at R. Lynn Harris for my regular Twitter and Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, the number four, students.org. Uh, that's my Twitter. That's Facebook. Everything related to my run for the Board of Education. Awesome. Because awesome. if you're well, not for students, why are you running for the Board of Education? No, you did it. There you go. <laughs> All right, Lynn. Uh, Good luck with the with the race. Um, we have high hopes for you. We know you'll do well. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. This was great. All right. We'd love to have you here. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Well, that was great to have Lynn on the show, right? Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. She was able uh, to... Finally. Yeah. Yeah. She was good. She knows a lot about Ed Policy. That is yes. for sure. Yeah. We um, need to get her back on to talk about some specifics there. I don't... I don't... Uh, I don't envy anybody running for a school board position anywhere. No. no, I don't. Or just any kind of political I, position. I've never really had any interest in doing anything like that. Have you guys? I do. Vaguely, do yeah. yeah. Really? Both of you do? Yeah. Okay. I think, I mean, little- there's so much, um, there's so much that can be done that, that impact kids in a real positive way from a school board seat. Uh, Mark Twain had a famous line about school boards that I can't pull right now. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Sins, will you Google it really quick? I will. I've heard that quote. Yeah, it's pretty funny, actually. And, it, and it's, a, it's a Twainism that's it's a good one. <laughs> and this is going back to the... Oh, jeez. In, the, in the first place, God made idiots. <laughs> that was for practice. <laughs> then he made school boards. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's great. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, that, that's oh, a, Mark that's, Twain. That's an all-timer right there. Samuel oh, Clemens. Anyway, uh, Lynn, Lynn accepted, of course. Of course. Um, all right. So we're at, we're at the time of the show where we are not doing Dear Betsy. we got to keep our audience um, 
clamoring for Dear Betsy. So no Dear Betsy this week, but we have the second best thing to Dear Betsy, which is a Casey Siddons quiz. Quiz show. Cue the music. forward to it. Woo! I only have four questions for you guys. Perfect. You ready? Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm... You're this losing much, steam. This, this much radio in the pod is, is, is getting me. Or as Goldfinger, <laughs> as Goldmember says, Gold you're, lo- you're losing steam. <laughs> I am. All right, number one. Uh, as This is all kind of coronavirus related, but not in a negative way. Uh, number one. As of March 27th, how many state school systems are closed for the rest of the year? Is it seven? What's the date? Today, the 27th, recording. The uh, the choices are A, 7, B, 20, or C, 40. 40. 7. The answer is 7. And uh, it includes, or this does not include two territories of the Mariana Islands and Puerto Rico. Yeah, I wasn't going to count those. Craig will just make an inappropriate gesture to me. (laughs) Aw, I, you know, I didn't hear the question clearly. Yeah, it was actually, closed like, for the year, not closed currently. I, I, I would like a do-over. On closed that. for the rest of the year. How is it? How could it be? He, he's he's looking at the ceiling and whatever. You know, <laughs> when I start talking, he glazes over. It's fine. I'm the middle child. I'm used to it. All right, go ahead. All right, number and two. I'm, and I'm the oldest who doesn't listen to the middle. <laughs> number two. In the recent coronavirus stimulus package, how many billions of dollars were provided to schools to mitigate the virus's impact? Trillions. A, $100 billion, B, $13.5 billion, or C, $400 billion? $13.5 billion. Uh, I will go with $13.5 billion as well. $13.5 billion is correct. With at least 90% of that aid earmarked for school districts through the Title I aid formula. Just a little tidbit of information for you. There's another $3 billion that can be used by governors to use at their discretion to assist K-12 in higher education as they feel. What, per, what percentage uh, to Title I? Uh, 90% of that aid goes to Title I formula. Uh, didn't you think it was interesting in that piece that uh, – I sent to you guys about the history of um, civil rights and education as from Brown that I'm supposed to I'm supposed to plug on the We're show. Plugging it. This is our I'm, plug. I'm plugging it right. I'm plugging it right now by um, Kevin Casey. It was in the Post. He's the director of Ed Policy Programming at New America. Um, I think when No Child Left Behind passed in 2002. Remember after that. The, the last talking point became that it was an unfunded mandate. Yes. Yeah. I think in that piece, and uh, we highly recommend you read it because it is a really compelling look back at school reform going all the way back to Brown. Um, in No Child Left Behind, Title I funding only went from $8 billion to $12 billion. Wow. Um, so there was very little put in uh, to the federal budget really. Uh, for Title One, so that's I think that's, that's where fascinating. that that unfunded mandate talking point came from. Wow. Um, okay, Inter- interesting. Uh, um, Another thing I wanted I wanted to ask you about that, Mr. Sids. Uh, I, I I'd be curious. Have, have you, either one of you read anything? As we are headed full, or are we already in? What's what's a recession? Two quarters of 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 
no growth? Yeah, Jerome Powell said yesterday that uh, he thinks we're in a recession. Okay, so I'm, I'd like to some future show talk about impact on – I mean the impacts on states are not going to come due until next year and the following year. What that's going to do to state pension systems going forward, yours truly over here, who's not too far from retirement, <laughs> starting to worry about that a got, little bit. Got, got pushed back a couple couple years in the last couple of weeks, huh? Yeah, somebody's going to keep working for a while. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Mr. Siddons. Um, uh, as an aside, the it's called the CARES Act, but uh, it also gives DeVos the power to grant significant relief from key accountability statutes under ESSA, which is just an aside that I thought I'd add in. Number three, which is not included in the stimulus bill? Is it A, money for internet service slash broadband access for families, B, money for internet connected devices provided to students, or C, Money for cleaning schools. B. B. It's A, money for internet service and broadband access for families. This is a little tricky. Really? Um, the coronavirus package does not include dedicated funding under the FCC's, it's called the E-Rate program, to provide internet service and internet-connected devices to students in need whose schools have shut their doors. However, there is money to provide schools or families in um, rural areas for broadband access. Now, what that takes the place of, and because it's included in broadband access and teleschool, uh, I don't know. So it's a little ambiguous. So okay. I mean, interesting. Number four. Rural. 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 Huh? Rural. Rural. Say say like you just said it. Rural. What's so funny about that? It's funny, right? Why? It's a little funny. How do you say it? I think the Scranton is coming out. (laughs) How do you say it? I don't know. Rural? Rural. Okay. I don't don't know. Mr. Crables. I think you're both losing it a little bit. (laughs) He's very cosmopolitan. Oh, I'm so... I I say the city way. Rural. Rural. All right, right, number four, last one. Monetarily, how different is this $13.5 billion to the money provided during the Great Recession of 2008's aid package? How much less money has been allocated? A, $45 billion, B, $72 billion, or C, $86.5 billion? It's 86. It's C because it was $100 billion in TARP. I'm giving it to Robbie without even letting Peter guess because <laughs> oh, that was yeah. really, really specific. He <laughs> really got that information. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. $100 billion was given to schools under TARP. Oh, Crable, how jealous are you on that one? There you go. <laughs> Jeez, I can't, even, I can't even give it time. <laughs> All right. So what was it? What was the score? Was it tie? It was tie. It's always a tie for me. I got the first one and you got the last one. That's right. Yeah, there we go. We tied on two, correct? That's right. Are we on the same one too. Yeah, two and two and three. We we you both, both got you both. Uh, number three, you did not get right. Oh, we didn't get okay. okay. Uh, so we got two right. Correct. All right, um, all right, boys. Last thoughts for the show. Uh, I would like to say, uh, for teachers, be easy on yourselves. And um, this is uncharted territory. This is stuff that we've never done before, and. Uh, you might be thinking your principal or your superintendent or your 
whoever's in charge is doing something wrong or you get frustrated, but just remember that people are doing the best that they can in a really strange and um, uncharted um, time period. Including kids and parents. Be easy yeah. on them. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well said. Well said. Yep, I, that, that is well said. Um, all right, so Mr. Crable, you got anything for us? Anything profound? You're, you're always... You're always good for a profound statement. <laughs> uh, no, he really stole all of the thunder uh, that I everything was you were gonna, gonna say. say myself. Yes. <laughs> so what He's, he said, he seemed like he had worked on that for a while. Yeah, it was really polished. It was kind <laughs> of annoying. I worked yeah. on it when I was working on my rural words. <laughs> you know, as 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 distance learning is is coming to fruition, I keep feeling like it means I have to go to work. But I don't really have to go to work. I mean, I'm not really going to work. It's so funny how strongly associated getting in a car in the morning and driving somewhere is work. It's work, yeah. Um, when I, then I have to remind myself I'm actually just going to get up and take a shower and sit at my desk. Right. My <laughs> Do things, but it doesn't feel workish. Yeah, this is a whole – I mean this whole working from home thing, I don't know about you guys, but it's – it's and then having kids, it, yeah, it is. Both the, my – with my wife and I here trying to manage a 16-year-old and 11-year-old, uh, you know, and she's on conference calls all day and I'm working all day, I, I'm not quite sure how we're going to do it. It's the pits, man. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't enjoyed it at all, have you, Mr. Crane? Well, I can't work from home. It's just – it's so difficult. You know, you need to hide somewhere because they'll find you wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> a question about eating Nutella or you said just some random thing. They're like, I don't know. Just give me 10 minutes. I just ate 10 minutes. <laughs> is, is Pearl out of, you, are all three years out of diapers? No, Pearl's, she's only uh, 20, 22 months t- today. You know, oh. so, she, so she's not there yet. She's no. not even, she's not even at pull-ups yet. No, no, no. Okay. Frida, Frida's already potty trained. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> she's advanced that's pretty funny alright um, folks you can find us at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter um, we're going to try to do better on Twitter lately we've gotten fairly lazy with Twitter <laughs> uh, and then check out our website uh, edsnotdead.com we'll not refer to it as E&D because my two co-hosts don't like it although I think it sounds cool as always, spread the word about the show, boys. Great to see you. Yep. Uh, Mr. Mr. Siddons, when you tweet out uh, or tweet about this episode, would you please tweet Zoom since we're using them to do this? I did. I'm sure they will definitely pay attention to us. Okay. Thanks, at Zoom. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you have any show feedback, send it our way. Don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes, and we'll send you a very fancy ENB sticker. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Night, boys. Night. Good night.